Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. I think it would be important for us to maybe remember how we started the series together. We started looking for God's goodness in the darkness. And if you remember from chapter 1, Uh, It describes a scene that's incredibly dark. It's almost like what we did at the beginning of the series is uh, got one of those massive puzzles and dumped all the pieces onto the table. We said, this is where we're starting. Israel's got a problem. Judah's got a problem. The problem is actually idolatry. And then we asked this question, well, if that's their problem, isn't that also perhaps our problem? And so we spent some time diagnosing our own cultural idolatries, the things that we value more than God himself. And then we kind of started over the past several weeks almost building the exterior of the puzzle, getting a frame together. I don't know about you, uh, I'm not great at puzzles, uh, so uh, sometimes I just kind of haphazardly start grabbing pieces and trying to put them together. But someone who's smart gets those corner pieces, and starts building those outer edges. Well, today, what I hope we do in Micah chapter 5 is really fill that thing in. Our goal today is for you to see not just what Micah may be saying to us in our day and time, but to see how the book of Micah fits in God's grand narrative, God's grand story that he's telling in all the scripture. So that's what we're after today. Uh, So get ready uh, to flip around in your Bibles a little bit. Uh, See a few things in a few different places as we go through Micah chapter 5. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father, in these moments, could you speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, uh, which is the way you consistently have spoken to your people for thousands and thousands of years. And so we just pray for that this morning as well, that you would speak clearly through the scripture, by your spirit. Amen. Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now you might have a different translation, and probably if you have a different translation, it reads differently. Uh, Verse 1 in Micah chapter 5 is incredibly difficult to translate. There's some variation here. So let's back up and remember the story, and then you're going to get what's going on. Remember, we talked about this Micah is written in the context of a story that we find in 2 Kings chapter 18. So the northern kingdom of Israel has already been invaded by the Assyrians, and they've already been taken into exile. But the southern kingdom, Judah, has not. And so you remember from chapter 1, we talked about all those cities. So what's happened is the Syrians have taken these cities in Judah and they're pressing in to Jerusalem. And we met King Hezekiah, who is a great king in the history of Judah. And King Hezekiah stands firm against the Assyrians, prays to God instead of going and trying to build an alliance with the Egyptians. And the Assyrians magically, not magically, right? Miraculously by God's hand back away. That's That's what's going on. So if you could imagine then the scene when Micah is writing his letter and the Assyrians are pressing in, what does Micah say? 
Man, you can get together all the troops you think you have left. You find every horse, you find every chariot, you scheme for war the very best you can, but guess what? It'll be futile. There's no way the very best that's left in Judah is going to be able to stand on its own against the Assyrians. Another way we could maybe say that is their military strength isn't going to save them. The cities we saw in chapter 1 with chariots and horses and warriors can't save so right out of the gate, chapter 5, Mike is saying, man, you're, you're not as self-sufficient as you think. This is a time to trust the Lord. You can't win. That'll win you a lot of friends, right? When you just look around and go, it's over. Verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, verse 5, and he shall be their peace. What's the promise? At the end of your self-sufficiency, when you can't save yourself anymore, what does Micah say? Who's going to save? God's going to save. The salvation's not going to come from mustering up troops it's not going to come from building the right alliances or deploying the right strategy. Salvation's going to come from this one, this ruler, shepherd, who's going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so this ruler coming from David's town of Bethlehem, now this is important. Remember, we're putting the puzzle pieces together. So first, guess what? We got to go. We got to go backwards. So David, you might remember, is the giant slayer. David, the shepherd, kills Goliath. And then years and years later, David becomes king of God's people over all of Israel, one united kingdom before they had split into two. And when David is on the throne, what do we know about David? The scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. And also God makes him a promise. God makes him a covenant. That if his descendants would walk in the ways of the Lord, that he would always have a descendant reigning on the throne. Now what's interesting is the promise refers to actually a forever king on a forever throne. And so this descendant of David is something that the people of God have been praying for and looking for, waiting for, this forever king that's going to reign on a forever throne. Now who's the first thought? Hezekiah, right? Hezekiah is a great king, and guess what? He's from the line of David. And Hezekiah has been standing strong against the Assyrians. Hezekiah is a great leader, and Hezekiah might be this guy. But Micah's already prophesied that the people won't avoid judgment forever, right? And so even Hezekiah's best efforts are not going to actually save the people forever, and so we see Hezekiah trusts the Lord in 2 Kings chapter 19, but we know that's not going to last. 
If we look closely at verse 2, we're going to see that actually Micah's describing someone else altogether. Not Hezekiah, somebody else. Check it out. See this last part of 2. For from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. So we know this future ruler shepherd is going to be from the line of David, born in Bethlehem. But then we also get this line that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but he's actually going to be from old, from ancient of days. Now, what does that mean? Two different words used here in the Hebrew language for from old and ancient of days. And these words are used a few different times in the Old Testament. And guess who they refer to? Really old people. No. They refer to God. Check this out. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? Same word as from old. O Lord, my God, my Holy One. It's everlasting God, right? Check this out. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. These two words are used in conjunction with each other in Deuteronomy 33. And the eternal God is your dwelling place. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. So when Micah writes about this king who's going to be born in Bethlehem, who is from old, from ancient of days. What's he saying? This king is going to be God, an everlasting king. Not like from a couple of decades ago. This is going to be a king from the ancient of days or from eternity. This guy is going to show up. So Micah is saying this is promised rescuer who's going to come to save God's people who is going to be from the line of David, born in Bethlehem, and he is going to be born but yet everlasting. Verse 4, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine the original audience? They're like, yeah, a ruler is going to stand against the Assyrians just like David. And then they hear this line, and he will shepherd his flock. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, man. No, 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 no. We don't need shepherd David. We need warrior David, right? We don't, we, we don't need little David who had some sheep that he kept safe. We need King David to come back. King David who is going to rule who's going to the giant slayer. That's the guy that we need, who had slain 10,000s of people. Like, that's who we need. But the picture that Micah paints isn't of a warrior who's coming, but of a shepherd. And he's going to rescue people, not by his military strength, but by his ability to guide his flock. And this ruler shall be great where? to the ends of the earth. So this isn't just a king for Israel. This is a shepherd ruler who is going to be for all people in all places. And so God plans to rescue his people by sending an unexpected, everlasting, good shepherd. So Micah's talking about. It's gonna be from a small town in Bethlehem nobody's ever heard of. 
right? And he's not, not going to be from this day and age. He's going to be from everlasting or from eternity, and he's going to be a good shepherd. Graham, is that me? We don't know. No one knows. Okay. We're just going to persist through it. Are you guys okay? Can you handle it? All right, good. So then who is this born yet eternal ruler and shepherd from the town and lineage of David? Who is it? Yeah, well, Matthew, a disciple of Jesus, thinks he knows. Check this out. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus, Matthew's clear, Jesus is born took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, from the lineage of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Matthew says, let me introduce you to the guy that Micah was talking about 700 plus years ago, who is born and is born in Bethlehem and is from the lineage of David, but is also from the Holy Spirit, from old And the purpose of this guy who's coming, the Micah 5 guy, is to save his people, not from the Assyrians or not from the Babylonians or not from the Romans, but from their real enemy, their sin. Remember, how did Micah start in chapter 1? What's the problem? Is the problem that the Assyrians are pressing in on them? No, the problem is their idolatry that their hearts are far from God, that their sin and rebellion has separated them from God. What is it, man? All right, I don't have it. Let's, Let's just, you just go ahead and mute it, man. It was just getting good too, right? How's that? Perfect. Everybody watching online is like, what is going on? Matthew's not done. Check this out. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, the wise wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who should be born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And Herod the king heard this and he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. Now wait, watch. Matthew's pointing out, born in Bethlehem, town of David. Everybody's confused, right? Some king is supposed to be born. What's going on here? Nobody's like expecting this version of the story. And then Matthew just closes the loop for us. Where does he quote from in verse 5? Or in verse 6? And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Where have we read that before? Micah chapter 5. So what's Matthew doing? He's screaming. This is the guy. This is the unexpected eternal good shepherd that we've been waiting for for 700 years. This is the guy who's going to save the people, not from a military threat, but from their own sin. This is the guy. Born in Bethlehem from the line of David. Wise men go to the wrong place. They're confused. Herod, he's confused. Nobody knows what's going on. Matthew's like, this is the guy that we've been talking about. Then Jesus is born. Starts his public ministry at age 30. Starts gathering the people together and teaching. John chapter 10, what does Jesus say about himself? Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's a hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. It's like you've had some, you've had some shepherds before, but they've just been hired hands. They're not who we've been really looking for. We've been looking for the good shepherd. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, he repeats. I know my own and my own know me just as a father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, he says, that are not of this fold. Where does Micah say? The good shepherd is going to what? He's going to rule to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, I must bring them also that they may listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you see the way this starts to fit together? Who's the unexpected eternal good shepherd that we've been waiting for? Jesus. God's plan to rescue his people is through Jesus, the unexpected and everlasting good shepherd. And Jesus says the way this good shepherd is going to save is by laying down his life. That Jesus is not the good shepherd in the sense of a, uh, or in a military leader sense. He's not the general who's back at home in HQ drawing up plans for how to strategically attack the enemy. That's not him. He's not counting the bodies going, what's an acceptable number of lives to lose in this battle? Jesus is the good shepherd who shows up in person on the front lines, and he's the one that lays down his life for his people. And on the cross, if we fast forward the story, Jesus does lay down his life as a good shepherd, sacrificing himself paying the full penalty that you and I owe to God for our own sin. And on the cross, the good shepherd who lays down his life defeats our real enemy. Rebellion and idolatry and sin at the very heart of who we are. And then this good shepherd, through his death and resurrection, draws together a flock, a people from among all the peoples. And his purpose is much bigger than just Judah or Israel. It's bigger than you and me. He is looking to gather together this worldwide flock so that there will be, according to Jesus, one flock and one shepherd. Let's just think about it just for a second locally. Last year, we met Dustin Lee, who's a pastor of City View, Started that church right down the road from us, right? 
He is shepherding that flock, right? But who's the shepherd? Jesus. And so City View and Mercy Hill, Comunidad de Fe with Abner, it's one flock, different shepherds spread out all over the city. You Movement with Lucius, Life Point with Dexter Hardy, First Baptist Kennesaw with Perry Fowler, North Star Mike Lynch, North Metro Rob McDowell, all pastoring different churches, but it's all what? One flock, one shepherd. So check out Micah 5 again, verse 5. And he shall be their peace When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads our palaces, then we will rise up against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men, and they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword and the land of Nimrod at his entrances, and he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads our borders. There's a lot going on here, but but most scholars don't think this is literal. They think this is a metaphor. That this shepherd king who's coming earlier in Micah chapter 5 is going to set up a people who have under shepherds and under princes who are leading and guiding them in a variety of ways. The worldwide expansion of Jesus' church is what is in mind here. In verse 7, the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people. What's the remnant? It's God's faithful people, Right? What do we know? I mean, they're t- God's people are taken into exile. Some are there. Some are going later. They're going to be in Assyria later. Uh, the Babylonians are going to rule over them. But, but Micah doesn't say God's going to draw his people back from the Babylonians. He says he's going to draw people together from what? Many peoples. Like dew from the Lord, like shower on the grass, which will delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among all the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among beasts of the forest and like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears into pieces, there none will deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries and all your people shall be cut off. This remnant is God's people, the one flock that Jesus died to save. That we are a part of a great people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and God is now, through Jesus, not just, not just bringing Israelites back from exile, but from all across the, the world, like dew on the grass, has a people for himself that he is drawing together into one worldwide, unstoppable family. I've said this to you before. Remember, in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire is in charge. And they rule everything. And they, after Jesus' death and resurrection, throw everything they have at this new small group of people called the Church of Jesus. Martyr after martyr, trying to stop this movement. But what happens? Micah 5, 8, and 9 is what happens. That the church is victorious even over Rome. Look, can I just tell you something? I love you. So I want to remind you of this history. Only because I love you. The church persists in victory no matter what is happening around us. That's what Micah's talking about here. That God's people will persist in victory no matter what happens. So guess what? 
If you want to see the remains of the Roman Empire, you can get a plane ticket to Rome and for a $25, $30, $45, you can get a tour guide to take you all over the city. And you know what they're going to show you? The remains of a destroyed empire. But you want to go to church? What you're going to find all over the globe is little pockets of God's people who still persist. And if we were victorious like a lion among lambs for the Roman Empire, do you think we are in peril because Democrats and Republicans can't get together on the future of our country? Listen, we will continue to exist worshiping the name of Jesus long after the United States ceases to exist. What will this good shepherd accomplish? Drawing together a worldwide family from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I love verse 5. Just simply, he will be our peace. Micah doesn't say he's going to establish peace. He doesn't say he's a military leader who's going to usher in peace. He says he himself will be our peace. You know, Paul quotes this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, here's what Paul says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. What's the picture that Paul paints for us about the church of Jesus Christ by quoting Micah? That God, through Jesus, is going to establish a worldwide family who will be at peace relationally with each other. That where there was two men, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles there, there's going to be in the place of that, what, just one body. Or what Jesus said, one shepherd, one flock. And so Jesus came for us to be at peace. Peace, Paul says, with God himself. That Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection bring us into a relationship with God that was previously hostile. Was he say killing their hostility? But now that we are in a good relationship with God, we are righteous, we have a right standing with God. And that Jesus, the good shepherd, also came to draw us together as one people. And so God's rescue plan is to make one new people from among all the nations through Jesus, the unexpected and everlasting good shepherd. So Micah's talking about, so Matthew's talking about, so what Jesus is talking about, so what Paul's talking about. You see how the puzzle pieces start to all fit together? But Micah's not done. Verse 10. For in that day declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, I will destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land. I will throw down all your strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more fortune tellers. I will cut off your carved images 
your pillars from among you. You shall bow down no more to the work of your hands, and I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute justice on the nations that did not obey. You're like, what? Micah, we were such a good place. Such a hopeful, wonderful place. What? Why did you go back to this again? We already did this. Because remember, their issue isn't their circumstances, it's their hearts. So Micah's making sure they know, first one, they can muster every troop. But what's God going to do? God is going to cut off every other possible thing that they could trust in to save them. So what? So that they can see clearly the Messiah promised in verses 2 through 5. You see that? God is going to remove every obstacle, every other idol they could trust in. He's going to remove their military power, their ability to fight for themselves. Go get the horses. No horses left. Go get the chariots. No chariots left. He's going to remove their places of refuge. Everyone that could seek refuge in these fortified cities, there's going to be no more cities to run to. He's going to cut off their attempts to control their own future. Right? Somebody's going to say, quick, muster the troops. Let's go pay a fortune teller to tell us what the future is going to hold. What's Micah saying? No more fortune tellers. You're not going to be able to do it that way. He's going to cut off every idol and every allegiance. So they go, oh, oh, we're in trouble. Let's go sacrifice to our other gods and perhaps they will save you. And Micah's saying, no, no, there's going to be nothing left to save you. So that you can see clearly God's goodness in the darkness and know that it's God himself who's going to send his son Jesus, the unexpected and eternal good shepherd, to save you. And in this way, we too can understand God's judgment or his discipline as a grace to us. That likewise, sometimes we need God to take away every other option of salvation so that we can clearly see we need his help. In times of trouble, where do we run? To our power. Man, I'll raise more money. We'll go find more investors. I'll go get a second job. I'll call everybody I know. And sometimes we need nobody to answer the phone. I'm going to go find a refuge, find where I can have, find comfort and protection, a relationship, alcohol, family, whatever it might be. And God's going to say, you don't have any of that left. I'm creating darkness for you right now so you can see that my goodness is coming. We look for a control. We're going to fill up our retirement accounts. We'll just pull our kids out of school, homeschool them. And God's like, no more options there. Because what I need you to see is that I'm the only one who can save. So these people needed to see their need for an unexpected good shepherd. And so do we. God's plan to rescue you today is through this unexpected, everlasting good shepherd. And sometimes for some of us, maybe most of us, we can't see that we actually need Jesus because we're surrounded with so much other stuff. I love this example. I heard it first from Jared Wilson. Uh, When I went to go buy an engagement ring for my wife, Kristen, 
I scraped together all the money I had. I, I, did, I didn't know a real diamond from a fake diamond, right? I don't know a good diamond from a bad diamond. I have no idea. Uh, I only bought a diamond once, right? Not a lot of experience in this area. But what do they do at the jewelers? They don't hold it up, right? What do they do? They put the diamond against a black cloth. And then they give you the little thing so you can see. And then if they put a terrible diamond next to a good one, you can't tell when you're just holding them in your hand. But if you put them against a black backdrop, a black cloth, what happens? You go, oh, now I see the difference. That's why often the scripture has so much bad news. Because we refuse to believe that we actually have a very dark backdrop in our lives. And we will buy into fake after fake after fake after fake. And sometimes what God is up to is putting the reality of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, against the darkness of our lives and what's going on around us so that we finally wake up and we can see the difference. We go, oh, I don't don't need this or that. What I need is the unexpected eternal good shepherd who came to rescue me from sin and death. So where does that park us today? I think just three quick things. The first one is this. God's plan to rescue you is through an unexpected, everlasting good shepherd. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, I think the message of Micah should stir up in us all. That God had a plan from before the foundation of the world that he pulled as a scarlet thread all the way through the scripture so that one day in the 21st century, we would hear the good news of Jesus. And that should cause us to go, oh my goodness, what a great, glorious God who from the foundation of the earth chose to send his son to save me. We should never get over that. That God was at work all the way through human history in order to save you. And then for some of us today who don't know Christ, who've been trusting fake jewelry to save you, it's money or success, achievement or fame, morality, church attendance, your hope Your hope right now and into the future is not what you can accomplish, but in trusting in the good shepherd who laid down his life for you. And maybe today is a day where you just finally trust Christ. You're like, I've been coming for a while. I've been hearing the message over and over again. I'm trying to sort things out on my own. But what I need today is to trust Jesus, the good shepherd who came to save me. Secondly, I love this one. God's, rescue, God's plan to rescue us is through the unexpected, everlasting good shepherd. Check this out. I love our church. We are not the only church in town. I love our church. But we are a part of a much bigger us 
all over Cobb County, all over the state of Georgia, all over the United States, and to the ends of the earth. We are a part of this one flock, which is why we have to be a part of giving money and providing resources to plant more churches like Community.DeFe. Because God has a worldwide plan to save a people from among all the people, a people who are going to be like dew on the grass across the entire world. And we want to be a part of that because us is bigger than us. So man, we want to pray for Abner and Jessica Ruiz just like we did today. Why? Because us is bigger than us. And God has a plan to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Which is number three. I'm getting ahead of myself. God's plan is to rescue people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Is through the unexpected and everlasting good shepherd. And so... We want to be engaged in our community, planting more churches like Comunidad de Fe to reach more and more people. And then we want to send missionaries to the ends of the earth. Next month, we're going to start our Neighbors and Nations campaign. And we are going to unapologetically ask you to sacrificially give your money to ensure that we can send missionaries to the ends of the earth. Because God is calling all the way back from Micah, before Micah, a people to himself from among every tribe, tongue, and nation. It is much bigger than just our gathering. It is a people One flock, one shepherd, global family. And we want to be a part of that. So, for some of us, today is a day of salvation. Today is a day where you need to accept, place your faith in Jesus. For some of us, it's a day where we just wake up and we realize maybe for the first time, this thing is way bigger than I could possibly imagine. And if we're going to reach Cobb County, it's going to have to be through relationships and partnership with a bunch of other people at a bunch of other churches. And then today, maybe, is where you go, I, I never thought about this before. But God's plan is for the world. Not just my little corner of it. And I got to start praying about and thinking about how can I can be a part of the gospel getting to the nations. Because God's going to save a people for himself from among every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he's going to save them through the unexpected, everlasting, good shepherd, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.